0: Welcome to "Say Hi to Your Pets," the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. In this episode, I will be talking about Lake Mungo, and we'll get to that towards the end of the episode. I just searched right now. Final. Oh my gosh! Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, and I'm just going to read the headlines of the first few that popped up. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth rating Reveals Pools of Blood, Deep Cleavage, and a Clue to Aerith's Fate. Um, If I had the attention span, I might click on that, but I I don't, so I won't. Great story. Um, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth's Yoshinori Kitase and Naoki Hamaguchi. You can learn a lot from The Empire Strikes Back. Alright, well, it is the second installment in the trilogy. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth will feature bodacious beach bod, but who? What the fuck is up with these headlines? Obsessed with sex much? Final Fantasy VII Rebirth reworks the original JRPG's dating scene in a similar way to remake's Honey Bee Inn. Alright, um... Either either the de- developers are obsessed with sex. Um, the art the writers are obsessed with sex or the fans are obsessed with sex and everyone knows it so the writers are writing about it so the fans will click. Uh, I-, I don't know, but I am excited about the game. Um, what else? I listened to this audiobook called The Book of Eels. Let's look it up. The Book of Eels. And uh I, I know nothing about eels. I I only clicked on it because it was free on the Libby app. And I g I gotta be honest, the title is intriguing. The Book of Eels. I'm looking at the Amazon link now. The Book of Eels, Our Enduring Fascination with the Most Mysterious Creature in the Natural World by Patrick Svensson. And the cover art looks cool. So I listened to this audiobook. Um, As I've mentioned before, my attention span is really bad with audiobooks. Because I've gotten so cu- accustomed to podcasts and I love hearing people speak off the cuff and just no- with no script. And as soon as someone starts reading off a script, my ears t- tend to drone out. And, you know, that's exactly what an audiobook is, is someone reading. Um, so my attention span was up and down on this thing, as with most audiobooks. I'm trying to get into it more because I you know, I drive 25-30 minutes each way to work, so I'm like, well, I I listen to we'll see you in hell all the time, all the time the back catalog. It perpetually over and over again like a loop. Well, maybe I can introduce some new things into my ears and into my brain so I've been gradually trying to listen to um, audio books, and so this one it was interesting, but again, my like I, I was lost a lot of the time. Um, he was going back and forth between like the the history of eel, eels, and the different types of eels, and then he would go tell the story about a father and son, and I. Bl- I believe it was about his father and himself. And at first I was confused. I'm like, is this fictional? Is this... But I guess it was autobiographical. So it's like half autobiographical and then half like a history of eels and culturally blah, blah, blah. And that's interesting, but... I gotta say, before reading this book, I didn't care about eels, and after listening to this book, I still don't really care about eels, Um, sorry if that's offensive to anyone, but it sounds like this dude really loves eels, you know? By the end of the book, it seems like he just had... He loved his father very much, and he's sharing these tales of his childhood, of... His father going taking him out on a boat and going fishing for eels and he just wanted to write this book almost as if it's he's pretending to say like eels are amazing and here's a history of eels and here's all the important stuff about eels but really he just wanted to express how much he loved his father almost hiding the I'm not explaining it right, but th- that's what it seemed like. But there's no, like in the title, there's no hint that this is an, autobiogra- an autobiography. And maybe it isn't. I don't know. But he, he talks about like, n- no one knows where eels come from. They seem to be, they come from just Dirt. They just come from the bottom of the ocean, out of nowhere. And no one knows how they reproduce. And the greatest scholars of all time were befuddled about eels like Aristotle and Freud. And all these great minds were so confused and they dissected them and they couldn't find their reproductive organs. So it's all like mysterious. At one point he says, well... In order for the spirit of eels to be alive and culturally rev- relevant, we have to continue to hunt eels and eat eels, and so that people will remember eels and think about eels every day. And then by the end, he was like, "Well, eels are now endangered, and um, because of human um, interruption, and that's not the right word, but." i don't know i i occasionally i eat the unagi and sushi other than that i don't eat eel i don't interact with eel the um and i'm not even sure if i like unagi or if it's just i remember i eating sushi the first time i ate sushis that my friend who i was with me was like hey let's eat the unagi and I don't know if I'm trying to be nostalgic or if I actually like the taste of unagi. It doesn't really taste like anything to me. Um, And if it does, it's probably the sauce. And, you know, the most I think about eels is like the Little Mermaid. Flotsam and Jetsam, and they were bad guys. So maybe they should make a, a new Pixar movie where the protagonist is a good guy eel. And that'll do more for the eels of the world. I don't know I'm talking I'm saying the word eels" too much, and I'm getting paranoid and anxious, so it's interesting, maybe you'd like it um there you have it the book of eels. I'm currently listening to a book um I don't think I'm going to um, finish it because I I believe I have to return it back to the library soon, and it's a long, it's like 13 hours. It's called Nobody's Normal. How Culture Created the Stigma of Mental Illness by Roy Richard Grinker. It's pretty interesting, but again, my attention span is up and down on this thing. It's, it's, some of the stuff is downright appalling. You know they talk about how, like the the quote unquote normal person is like a a a rich or maybe this is just me, my um I'm imposing this opinion on it, but like the rich white or not even rich but like the white male who was born into probably like a a a high-influence family, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's that was considered normal. And and everything else, people just see them as inferior, whether it's a different race, whether it's African, um, whether it's female. And anyone with a quote-unquote mental illness was looked upon as lesser, and they were treated lesser. And even the people treating the people with mental illness none of the, like the history of mental illness the people treating them it's like the only people who could treat them had to have suffered from it themselves if i'm getting that right i i don't know if i'm remembering that right but uh, there there was a whole chunk on 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 african men and treating them badly and you know the white men saying uh, we are doing the Africans a favor because free black men are, are a danger to society and themselves. So we are purchasing them and owning them and taking them onto our plantations and giving them uh, a life and a destiny and and work and purpose. This was considered the legal norm for a long time. Like, there's a ton of things like that. And for myself, someone who suffers from, I would say, severe uh, depression, although it's considerably better now, um, and and heavy anxiety over the years, although it's better now. um, I was interested in it. Um, I don't. Let me see how much I have left. Oh, great. Now there's dead air on the podcast. The episode is ruined. Um it's just ruined. Um oh my gosh. I need a new phone too and I don't have money. And I didn't go to work today because I didn't want to. It's due in 2 days and it, according to the Libby app I'm less th- I'm at 48%. So I I don't know how to li- I've never had to Well, I'm new to the Libby app, so I don't know if I can get an extension. But um, it's dense. It's thick. Um, but you you might think it's interesting. Roy Grinker, he made a point right at the beginning where his family has a long history of being... Psychiatrist? Is that right? Or no? Um, neurologist? Something like that. Like his grandfather and his father and then he decided to become an anthropologist with a sp- he specializes in mental illness something like that um, let's move on my voice is so monotone it's disturbing um, That that's why I always feel like I should be I should be making a conscious effort to be inserting inflections and Changing my pitch a bit because when I'm just speaking from my heart, it's monotone and it's sad and I know no one in the right mind would want to listen to this Um, There was a, a Nintendo had a, an indie Showcase event on YouTube and I I didn't watch it. Um, I Get distracted by the chat and I know you can hide the chat, but I didn't watch it live I might try to l- watch the video um, so I just googled gaming news. Here's here are the headlines. Congregate. Congregate Digital Bros join the wave of video game industry layoffs. I didn't know Congregate was still alive. Um. Way back when I was dabbling in. In music composition and sound design, I, I used to have a, I used to have, I I made some like music for the games back then. I don't know if my stuff's still in there. Um, I just searched my name and nothing, of course, nothing. Um, let me see if I can sign into this bitch. Um. Username not found. Well, fuck you then. Um, GFN Thursday. GeForce Now PC Game Pass deal. Okay, that... I didn't need to read that. PlayStation Game... PlayStation Plus Extra and Premium Games for November are here. The Game Awards 2023 nominations, Alan Wake 2, Baldur's Gate 3, lead the... Dot, dot, dot. Um, I purchased Spider-Man 2 when it came out, and I have not put it into my PlayStation 5. Um, that's just a symptom of getting older and being... The, I, I keep seeing that um, meme over and over again. Well, twice. I exaggerated. I'm sorry. Where it's a photo of like a bunch of video game systems, like a PlayStation and a Switch and blah blah blah. And it says, like, a sign of adulthood is being too tired to play these when you get home. And then there's a there's a bunch of comments, or there was one or two, I exaggerated again, I'm sorry. There's one of the top comments that says, are you nuts? I, I love playing these when I get home. If you don't have time to play these, then you're not a true gamer, or something like that. And I I understand that comment, but at the same time, like I, sometimes like I am too tired to pop to turn these on. Um, it's very sad. It's depressing. Um, but I am look. I love love Spider Man one on PlayStation Four, and I am very much looking for, forward to Spider Man two. I'm very much looking for spider, to looking forward to Spider Man two. Let's move on to some movies, shall we? I watched The Wicker Man, 1973. I watched it on Voodoo, because I have a digital copy. Um, I was watching a program on Shudder called The 101 Scariest Horror Movie Moments of All Time. And I I already think that, that um, either the title is misleading or the content is misleading because they have stuff in there like the haunting of hill house which was a series on netflix so it's not or is it maybe i'm getting the title wrong 101 scariest horror. maybe it's horror moments um nope it says right here the 101 scariest horror movie moments of all time so I understand that's a catchy title, but it's a misnomer, all right? It's a misnomer. And so for the most part, because there was 101 moments, I just watched the series, even though I hadn't seen the movie, and I probably hadn't seen 90% of the movies, just because they they go through, like, um, 50s, 60s movies, and I haven't seen most of those Um all the way to the present day, or at least 2022. And very occasionally, if they started talking about a movie that I had heard of, or I was interested in that I hadn't seen, I decided to pause the program and then go seek out the movie. And the first one was The Wicker Man. Uh, Pat Walsh recently spoke about rewatching The Wicker Man on We'll see you in hell podcast. And I had heard, like, and Pat Walsh compares The Wicker Man to Midsummer, and obviously there's a lot of uh, influence there. I haven't seen the um, 2006 remake with. Um, Nicholas Cage, it is a remake and reimagining of the 1973 British film, The Wicker Man, but also draws from its source material, David Pinner's 1967 novel, Ritual. Um, I haven't seen that, but I might watch it. So if you haven't seen 1973's Wicker Man, it is a folk horror film directed by Robin Hardy, starring Edward Woodward, Britt Eklund, Diane Cilento, Ingrid Britt, and Christopher Lee. The screenplay is by Anthony Schaefer, inspired by David Pinner's 1967 novel Ritual, and Paul Giovanni composed the film score. Let me try to do the synopsis without the Wikipedia page. It is about, about a man, a police officer who gets called to this island because he received an anonymous message saying this girl named, I f- I'm forgetting the name. Let's just call her Maisie Morrison. Maisie Morrison. That's not the name, but we're doing it and then he's 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 scottish so he goes i was called to this oh, that's not, that's almost swedish i don't know what that was he's like i i got called to this island i am a police officer and i'm saying i've i heard that this little girl is missing and i'm here to investigate and the folk people are immediately like oh we don't we don't know a Maisie morrison no and the the police officer is like no well i am going to investigate and he's like he has a real s- stick up stick up his ass he's really strict and um he's christian and religious and he's like he mentions later on he's a virgin which is a uh foreshadowing i'm i'm fucking this synopsis up but um so basically that's what kicks off the the story of the movie. And the people on this Island are no offense, but they're weird. And the movie is shot. The movie is shot really weird. I mean, the people are moving and dancing and singing in weird ways. There's a bunch of songs. I think Pat Walsh mentioned this that I wasn't expecting. And it's, it's it's not exactly it's not a musical i wouldn't say um but they just start sing they break into song a lot in the movie um it's just very weird and and obviously when you watch midsummer midsummer does take a lot of influence from this movie and i would say that wicker man is scarier Simply because he is alone, and I—I um, I don't know, Ari Aster. He—he brings this group of friends to the island, and maybe he did that just to differentiate its itself from Wicker Man, but that in and of itself. For me makes the movie a little less scarier because you have a group, and you know the the people on I don't know if they're on the island but the people in the little country, the country in in midsummer they start picking off the friend group one by one, but it just i mean it's it's different stories but the, ma- the main fact that um, this dude, this police officer in The Wicker Man, is by himself. At the end of the movie, you realize like, they have that shot of all the people lined up um, with the sun in the backdrop. Th- that's scary because he's not going to escape all of them. And he's not going to overpower all of them. Um, and he he's on an island, and his plane doesn't work. So it's that's scary. And when you and it almost has that. I think they mentioned this in the in the Shutter documentary series as well. But it's kind of that Rosemary's Baby thing when you realize that everyone was in on it, including the girl. Um, I'm gonna look up the girl now. Um, Rowan. Rowan Morrison, even she was in on the uh, heist. Oh, my gosh, it's not a heist the scheme. And um, so basically he he inve- he goes around the island, tries to investigate. And at the end of the movie, he realizes he tries to he finds Rowan and she's alive and he tries to help her escape. But she's in on it. And they tell him that he he is the virgin that they are going to sacrifice. Because last year's crops were terrible. And they need to sacrifice a virgin according to their cult religion. And they bring him to this huge wicker man where they have a bunch of animals. And they put him in it. And they burn the thing. The ending is just real haunting and real terrifying and um it's good I liked it I I liked how weird it was and and it's creepy and I'm glad I got to uh, cross this off my list of horror movies that are some would call this a classic perhaps um I don't know it's the the final scene was number 45 on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. And during the 2012 Summer Olympics opening ceremony, it was included as part of a sequence that celebrated British cinema. That's a little weird. I mean, I guess that's accurate, but... Why, why would you show that during the Olympics? I wonder if they showed the... Because the, immediately I'm picturing... The, the ending scene um with the wicker man i'm assuming that's not what they showed but uh and the ending is very similar to to midsummer as well where they're they're burning a bunch of people like sacrifices and including uh Florence Pew i almost said Rebecca Pew i don't know what that's about but Florence Pugh's boyfriend who is put into a bear suit and they just burn the whole thing alive. And then Florence Pugh's smiling. Um, But Wicker Man is our dad directed the Wicker Man. It tore our family apart. Um, This was an article written and released just July 14th, 2023. So that's interesting. I I can't read the whole thing, but let me see if I can find some tidbits. I get told all the time that I am so lucky to be the son of Wicker Man's director, Robin Hardy, especially as the film and its enduring legacy turns 50. No, I am not lucky. The film did me nothing but harm. It bankrupted my father. Tore apart my parents' marriage caused us to sell our house to pay the debts, and even still, after all the success the film has had, we haven't seen a penny. That's unfortunate, because I would assume this horror movie... Uh, it's me t- It's me talking now. It's me speaking. I have now stopped reading the article. It's me. It's back to me again, Edmund. It's my voice. I would think that's weird, because this movie, I believe, is regarded as a classic, and that sucks that their family has not received any money. Anyway, back to the article now. I'm going to look at tidbits, look for tidbits and money in the in the article. My half brother Domi and I got sent Dad's papers, scripts, and storyboards—a whole office from the 1970s that was dedicated to the Wicker Man production. What a treasure trove for a film lover! Again, no. Instead, a descent into a personal hell as the papers revealed how much my mother had bankrolled our dad. And his de- desperate attempts to become a filmmaker alongside his advertising partner Tony Schaefer, already a movie star writer. Um, de- I don't want to read this whole thing, but this is interesting and sounds very sad. Um, I guess, I guess the 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 gist of it was in that that headline. It. It tore their family apart. So if you want to read that, you can... Again, Our Dad Directed The Wicker Man, It Tore Our Family Apart, released on July fourteenth, 2023. Sad and interesting indeed. Um, I recommend the movie. This movie is weird, creepy, um, terrifying, and there's nudity. On to Peeping Tom. Peeping Tom was one of the 101 um, scariest horror movie moments. And 1960, I am not, I don't watch a lot of older movies, so, um, 1960, it is a 1960 British psychological horror thriller film directed by Michael Powell, written by Leo Marx, starring Carl Boehm, Anna Massey, and Moira Shearer. I thought that was weird because I thought the mom kind of stole the movie and she is not first billing, even on the Wikipedia page. Let me find her um, name. I guess it's Mrs. Stevens. Yeah, that looks right. Maxine Oddly. She brought a, a really weird energy to the movie and um, I liked her a lot It says years active 1947 until her death 1992 but according to the Wikipedia the Filmography it only goes to 1972, which I don't understand that Um, I guess there's some television appearances 1990, there was something called A Ghost in Monte Carlo. But I liked her a lot. I don't. I guess she has a smaller part, but I don't know why she's not listed in the top billing. So let me try to give a synopsis of Peeping Tom. At the beginning of the movie, there's this dude. His name is um, Mark. And he works in the film business behind the scenes, in the movie business behind the scenes. And he, I guess he takes, well, at the beginning of the movie, it seems that he picks up a prostitute because she's like two quid or I don't, I don't, I don't know um, British currency. Gosh, these pauses are just dead. I I wish I was more eloquent, but I'm not. So, there's another great story. Um so and then she takes him back to her apartment and then she starts screaming. And that's the that's like the cold open. So as the movie goes on, you real he reveals that his father was I don't know kind of a creep and he wanted to study a child so he decided to study him the the protagonist of the movie and he wanted to know everything about him including his fears so he would purposely do things to the child to make him scared and then record it on film such as put a lizard on the bed um and just see how he reacts. And that obviously traumatizes him. So when he grows up, he he's kind of a creep. And he takes out these girls and he ends up uh, killing them. He has like a blade attached to a camera and this big wonky mirror. So that the, the, the ladies can see... Them, themselves dying. And then the camera is recording them seeing themselves dying. It's, it's really, I don't know if, I don't know why I want to say the word warped. But it's warped. It's, it's disturbing. And, but I like the movie. And there are some interesting things about the director, Michael Powell. He, he was like a... Well, let me read this. Many renowned filmmakers such as Francis Ford Coppola, George A. Romero, and Martin Scorsese have cited Powell as an influence. Um, In 1981, he received the BAFTA Fellowship along with his partner Pressburger, the highest honor the British Academy of Film and Television Arts can bestow upon a filmmaker. Um, Let me look at his... Uh, filmography. Um, I, I'm I'm not going to be familiar with most of these. I'm assuming, but um, they said that this movie Peeping Tom like ruined his career or was a detriment to his career. Um, I can't even. Okay, so let me let me look at movies before Peeping Tom. Luna de Miel. Ill Met by Moonlight, the Battle of the River Plate, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, a short ballet, O oh, Rosalinda, The Tales of Hoffman, I I Gone to Earth, I don't I don't know these movies. A matter of life and death. So he was like a renowned filmmaker, and then he comes out with Peeping Tom, which is a psychological horror thriller film, and they people didn't like it. They were like, what is this? This is like, I think someone said they thought it, uh, They thought of it as pornography, which doesn't make sense because there's no nudity in the movie. But I guess at the time, the film's, I'm reading Wikipedia, the film's controversial subject matter and its extremely harsh reception by critics had a severely negative impact on Powell's career as a director in the United Kingdom however it it attracted a cult following, and in later years it has been reevaluated and is now cons- widely considered a masterpiece and a progenitor of the contemporary slasher film um as far as the movie goes i i liked it um the protagonist Carl Boehm as mark lewis i i kept wondering if. Um, the Futurama voice actor was influenced by this dude's voice and performance. Um, let me get his name: Maurice LaMarche. I kept thinking of this dude because, like, especially his performance as um, Kiff Croaker. I, I I I can't do it, but it's like. Zap uh, Brannigan uh, some that kind of timbre. I didn't do that any justice, obviously, but um, it. Every time I heard his voice in, in Peeping Tom, it reminded me of Kiff Croker. So I, I wonder if that was an influence. I, I'm not sure. Um, maybe I'll find it in. Uh, no, I I'm not gonna find it. But um, I liked his performance. I, I as I said, I liked Maxine Audley's performance. Moira Shearer has like a, a dance number, which I thought was fun. And um, it's weird having like a a full dance sequence in the movie. Not really a full dance, sequ- but she dances a little dance, and it's fun. But it's in the in the middle of this horror movie. Um, And the other girl was Anna Massey. I liked her. She has a... (laughs) Her haircut reminds me of, like... um, That movie... Let's get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The the parent trap. Haley... I'm blanking on the name. My brain... It's just, it's just ninety percent blanks at this point. That's sad. Um, just give me her name, Haley Mills. Dang it. Anyway, um, the movie is, the movie is good. I liked it, and uh, I don't know what else to say. My mind is blanking again. But as the Wikipedia said, it's a progenital... <laughs> to the modern slasher. And I thought the movie was well made, and it was interesting, and the performances was, was were good. And it's a shame that people at the time... You know, I think that's a sign of an an interesting filmmaker who decides to make something interesting and is off his normal stuff and it's one of those things where people don't appreciate it at the time because it's so different and unexpected and people are like what is this and then eventually like you know however many years later it is now 50 60 70 years later people watch it now and are like oh this is awesome but at the time, they're like, ugh. You know what movie I've been thinking, I thought about the other day? Is Lady in the Water. I liked I liked it. I saw it in theaters. I liked it a lot. Um, and now... I have weird memories about the movie because I don't know if memories of my experience of the movie are actually my memories or things that I read over the years or heard over the years, maybe in a podcast or something. Because, for example, I remember hearing, um, watching it in theater with my roommate at the time. And this is Shyamalan, right? So Shyamalan was big on horror and the twist ending. So before Lady in the Water was The Village Signs Unbreakable Sixth Sense. Um, I- I'm gonna go ahead and say I think the Happening is significantly worse than Lady in the Water. I haven't seen After Earth. I think Old is significantly worse than Lady in the Water. I think I've only seen it the the one time. But I watched it in theater and I I liked it. Because to me, it almost felt like... Wait, let me go back to what I was saying. I remember at the end of the movie, someone said... I can't believe you... Someone, like some stranger, said to his date... I can't believe you took me to a fantasy movie. And then I think someone else said, you're never going to get to pick the movie again. But again, I don't know if that's something I read or if that's something I heard when I watched the movie. So for me, this movie felt almost like a a small but epic fantasy adventure movie, but set in an uh, an old d- apartment complex that's what it felt like to me so like from what I remember of the movie this um, Paul Giamatti found this weird girl and this girl is like this creature is after me you have to help me you have to save me and he's like Uh, okay well what do I need to do and he's like trying to figure out if this girl is nuts and if he's going to go along with it or if this thing is real and again I've seen it the one time in 2006 so from what I I remember he had to either he or she had to dive deep into a pool and retrieve this thing and again it kind of reminds me of like Harry Potter or um, ready player one where you have to read or like golden ticket thing where you have to re that was a bad no that's not a good reference where you had to retrieve these things in order for her to fulfill her destiny or something like I, I need this key but it's deep into in this body of water and um, and then at the end you you need like these seven sages together around and and like pray and that to me reminded me of the legend of zelda where you or like the the trin, the triforce where you you can't complete the triforce if one part is missing so you need these seven sages to come together and at the end you have like the the weird guy with the weird strong arm that uh, i will admit that's weird he's only working out one arm like i don't know how to i cannot justify or defend that that's weird and at the end they're like well we need the healer and they all think it's this old lady and they're like no those butterflies came around only when paul giamatti was around I remember getting emotional and teary-eyed when he has his short little line because I guess he had a backstory about losing a daughter, I think. Spoiler alert. And I was getting teary-eyed when he was, like, saying, like, "Ah." he had this part, I don't remember it well, but he was crying in the movie and it was making me emotional. And so they had to, to get together and pray to allow this girl to, like, get wings and fly away so this creature won't kill her? Something like that, if I'm remembering it um, correctly. I I need to watch that again. Maybe I'll label that a special episode. I might be terribly bored by it. I might hate the movie. But in 2006, I liked the movie. I really love the the music to James Newton Howard. I think the song is called or the track is called Prologue. Yeah, it's just called Prologue and it's like a, it's just a simple descending notes. I think it's like a choir. But it's it's really good and um let me just look at the um The film received negative reviews, with criticism revolving around the self-indulgence with which Shyamalan cast himself in the film, the lack of consistency, and the film's characterization. The film was also a financial failure, grossing $72 million against a $70 million production budget. At the 27th Golden Raspberry Awards, Lady in the Water received four nominations, for worst picture and worst screenplay and 1 2 for worst director and worst supporting actor for shamalan um i'm i'm I, I want to rewatch this maybe i'll rewatch it today um, the i'm at the 46 minute mark you know i never plan on making these an hour well, I never think that I'm going to make these episodes an hour And I end up watching I never I end up talking about I know uh I end up speaking for about an hour Alright very briefly I just wanted to mention that one of the movies in the docu- in the shutter series was Wait Until Dark which I thought was very interesting because it stars Audrey Hepburn and she plays i believe a blind woman, and um she she she's like her reputation now is like being very posh, very beautiful, very elegant, so her being in this psychological thriller thriller horror movie was interesting to me also what was interesting was. Alan Arkin plays a violent criminal searching for drugs, and I've—I'm not familiar with his earlier catalog. I know him mostly from like Get Smart, and um, the Sunshine Van movie. So I was really interested in watching that. Um, R.I.P. to Audrey Hepburn and Alan Arkin. Um. So I want to check that out. Wait until dark. So let's talk about Lake Mungo. So this was on the um, the Shudder series. And, you know, um, Mike Flanagan really talks this movie up. And he even mentions, like, whenever someone asks me what the scariest horror movie of all time, I always say Lake Mungo. And then... Pat Walsh talked about it on the podcast, on his podcast, and he said, well, he watched The Moment, which I don't know. uh, That's exactly what I didn't want to do because I didn't want it to ruin the movie for me. And um, so as soon as he started, as soon as Mike Flanagan said that, I paused it and then I, I seeked out Lake Mungo. I think I watched it on Tubi, but I believe it's on Shudder as well. And I really liked it. Um, I don't think um, it's on Wikipedia, it's described as a mockumentary. I don't, I feel like mockumentary to me, um, well, I, I don't know the history of the term mockumentary, but mockumentary is so overused at this point because of the office. So it, I'm sure it didn't originate with The Office, but I feel like The Office, British and American, made mockumentary blow up, because right after this was Parks and Rec, Mar- Modern Family. Um, also, mockumentaries was big with um, Christopher Guest. And mock... The word mock, I believe, oh, jeez, I got to pause. Mock means like to make fun of. So I I don't know. I have issues with calling Lake Mungo a mockumentary, but if that's the definition, then that's what it is. I, I would call it a focumentary because it's like a fake documentary, a focumentary. Well, that makes you think it's a folk horror. But so it's it's done in a documentary style. and that, to me, it added a lot to the movie. It was an interesting style. It's interesting take on the horror genre. And like I said, for fake documentaries, I feel like that's been done and overdone with comedy. But I've never really seen it done in something serious, such as this movie, a horror movie. And they tried to do it for a little bits in that Lucy movie, and I didn't like it. I just... And again, it's serious bits in a movie about Lucy, but Lucy was known for her comedy. So you know what I mean? So this, to me, was very novel and new and unique. For me, and I'm sure it wasn't the first time this it's been done, but I really liked that aspect of it. And I I really like the performances. Let's give some of these actors some some praise. Rosie Traynor as June Palmer, David Pledger as Russell Palmer, Martin Sharp as Matthew Palmer, Talia Zucker as Alice Palmer Palmer, Steve Jodrell as Ray. Kamini, because I feel like going into the movie, um, found footage, like for example, found footage to me, I'm not a big fan of found footage because it feels silly, it feels fake, and it's supposed to feel real, so found footage to me the whole point is that it's supposed to feel real but to me it feels fake and dumb so i haven't seen blair witch i did see chronicle i th- i thought it was fine i'm not a huge fan of that first um C- what's it? cloverfield i know people love that first movie um it it doesn't feel real to me. It feel it feels put on. It feels fake. So this movie I feel like if anything is off, it'll throw the audience off of the movie. For example, if any if one line is off, it's not gonna feel real. It's gonna feel silly, it's gonna feel fake. And I thought the especially the dad talking. I thought he was very good in the movie and it felt like a real documentary. Um, there was one scene where they were interviewing like three girls in bikinis and one of the girls who doesn't speak, she looks like she smiles a little bit and that took me out of the movie a little bit. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but she like took me out of the scene and... I mean, if she's not going to say anything, I don't know why she was even in the scene at all. Like, she was not good. And then when the character of the psychic psychiatrist dude... When he entered, it started to feel a little wonky a little bit, but not enough to derail the whole movie. But... um. When they were like, um, when, he, when he started speaking and he was like on a radio, I'm like, okay, this is going a little off a little bit, but again, not enough to derail. And the thing that the, the director does was was interesting, but he would close up on one of these creepy pictures and I could feel my, my goosebumps rising and I've, it felt chilling. And he would just stay on the picture because you expect, you want, or I wanted him to cut away. I'm like, okay, I'm done seeing this close-up, this extreme close-up of this creepy picture. Please cut away now. But he would keep it on that frame for an additional 5 to 10 seconds. And... I'm not saying I liked it, but I'm not saying I disliked it. I'm saying it was effective because I, because what ended up happening is I wanted, I wanted to look away instead of him cutting away. Since he didn't cut away, I wanted to look away. So I was really creeped out by this movie. But I also thought what was really interesting was, I guess time travel, spoiler alert for Lake Mungo, Time travel is not really the right term, but there 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 must be another um there must be another word for it but because there's there's not like a time machine in this movie, and that's not what this movie is at all but what I really thought was interesting was at the end of the movie, they are juxtaposing uh Alice speaking with um the psychic like three months before her death and she is talking about like he's telling her close your eyes and go into the room and she's like okay i'm going into the room i'm sitting down and then the director juxtaposes this with the mom her last session with the psychic, which was obviously after long after or months after Alice had died. So she's closing her eyes and she's going into the room. And then Alice three months before her death is like, I see my mom, but she doesn't see me. And then now she's leaving. Everyone's gone. And um, it was when the family moved out of the house and that was like, it's creeping me out a little bit now talking about it but it, it was also kind of beautiful and like emotional because she's get she's getting to experience this moment with her mom and and her mom leaving but it's all, but also your brain is kind of you're you're getting your mind blown a little bit like whoa her mom is the mom and the daughter are seeing each other, but it's at different times. So it's like she's seeing into the future and she's seeing into the past. And um, and Mike Flanagan, I felt like, used that in one of the best parts of uh, House of Hill House. Horror of Hill House. Hill House Horror Time. Um, with the bent neck lady. Uh, when she keeps dropping through time and space. Um, And then, obviously, the the creepiest part of Lake Mungo is in the middle of the movie, where they're watching the cell phone footage of Alice walking off on her own and seeing the... whatever that was, a ghost or premonition or spirit of herself dead. Um... I was kind of blown away by Lake Mungo. I liked it a lot, and these are the type of I, I, these are the type of horror movies that I enjoy most because it affects me the most. You know, slashers don't do it for me because it's just um, you know violence basically. And yes, you're you're scared to be hurt or injured or killed or dead. But what freaks me out more is something like The Ring or Lake Mungo, where you—it's things you can't explain. Like you can explain a slasher; it's just a a do or someone killing someone um, or someone killing a bunch of people. But things where you can't explain, like uh, spirits, ghostly stuff—it's um, it—it really creeps me out, and. I was actually telling my wife about it late at night, let's say at like 2 a.m, 12 a.m, and it was right before she was going to fall asleep, and i couldn't I couldn't do it. It was freaking me out, and I don't tend to get nightmares anymore, so like I can watch a scary movie and and sleep fine. But I, I was trying to tell her about the scariest moment of the movie, and I couldn't do it. I was getting so freaked out because it was dark, and and she was like, "Yeah, tell me tomorrow, like in the morning when it's day, when it's light out." But Lake Mungo, I I highly recommend it. Uh, Joel Anderson, the writer director, is not even clickable on wikipedia um and this wikipedia has it's there's not a lot on it um mike sprague of dead dread central included the film on his list of 10 awesome underrated horror movies to stream during the covid19 pandemic let's let's look at that list to end this episode on um Actually, I want to see Joel Anderson. Um, let's see what else he's done. Uh, that He's only directed Lake Mungo in 2008. How is that? I don't know how that's possible. He wrote The Rotting Woman, Lake Mungo, and Gravity... A short in 2013 he he was a script editor for something called clickbait in 2021 i this boggles my mind this is blowing my mind as as well joel anderson wrote and directed lake mungo and how is he not I don't know. I'm amazed that people don't give him just all of the money to make more movies. This movie is excellent. Um, All right, let's look at this list. Um, Absentia, 2011. Directed by Mike Flanagan. I'm not familiar with that. Body Bags by John Carpenter and Toby Hooper 1993 Unfamiliar Bone Tomahawk I have seen um directed by S. Craig Zoller that was a good (laughs) I forgot that Matthew Fox was in this movie was he in this movie? um Patrick Wilson, Richard Jenkins, Kurt Russell. Um, I enjoyed that movie as much as one can enjoy a movie about a savage group of cave dwellers, according to Dread Central. Frozen, 2010, directed by Adam Green. Not familiar. Um. Images. Directed by Robert Altman, not 1972, not familiar. Lake Mungo, Satan's Little Helper, 2004, not familiar. Relic, 1997, not familiar. Resolution, 2013, not familiar. Society, not... I think I've heard of it, but... Okay, well, that was a a rather underwhelming way to end this episode. Thank you for listening. I highly recommend you check out Lake Mungo. Um, I hope you are well. Thanksgiving is next week. I hope you all have a wonderful time with your families. And if you hate your families, please get away from them ASAP. Uh, Take care. Stay warm. Um, Take care of each other. And yourselves, don't be too hard on on yourselves, Um, it's okay to to not be okay, alright? Thanks for listening and say hi to your pets for me.